This morning, I would like you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll begin reading from verse 6 through verse 10. I know that today is not the anniversary day for the church, but really it's still anniversary month. And one of the things upon my heart before uh, the pastoral transition takes place and before, uh, before that I leave is I wanted to just refresh us as a congregation about the biblical philosophy of ministry upon which MIBC was founded. And so that's what I'm going to preach today along with telling you all the story, the history, the mir- I call it the miracle of MIBC because uh, let's be honest, the birth of any local church is a miracle. Okay? Really, any birth is a miracle. You think about your own children and uh, uh, what, <laughs> you know, what the Lord does to bring uh, through physical parents, bring another life into the world. It's truly a miraculous thing. You know, we can be part of that process, but doesn't mean we understand it. And uh, a church is no less of a miracle. Okay, it's God's plan from the beginning. Jesus Christ founded the church. And so what we see today and what we see after 20 years, it cannot be attributed to human effort. And, And I hope we all understand that. We get to be a part of it. Uh, but it doesn't mean we can explain how God brings a church into existence other than to say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And so with that in mind, let's read our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6. And here the Apostle Paul writes and says, I have planted, Apollos watered, But God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder... I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father in heaven, we are indeed thankful for your amazing work in our lives. Lord, as we think upon it on an individual basis Lord, the very fact that we came to know you as Savior is miraculous. The fact that we have been made partakers of that new birth, uh, we have been transformed. We are now the sons and daughters of God. And we thank you for that. We thank you for setting us free from sin. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for the gift of eternal life, for the assurance of heaven. And for that wonderful security that comes 
within uh, the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. We thank you for this church family and, Lord, what you've done here at MIBC over the number number of years, Lord, of our existence. And, Lord, I pray that today as never before we'll be convinced of and ready to embrace a biblical philosophy of ministry Lord, uh, that is part of our foundations, part of our heritage. It needs to be part of our legacy. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us uh, in that today to understand it and uh, appreciate it. And Lord, help to move that vision forward. And so we give you the praise. We give you the glory for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we get to the biblical philosophy of ministry, which is in our Uh, contained in our text today. Uh, We need to understand a little bit about the history of this church and how do we intertwine those two other than to say the story of MIBC, really it's a story that follows the pattern for God's work laid out in 1 Corinthians 3. Now does that mean that we're the model church? Does that mean that we're a perfect church? I don't believe so. But the story of MIBC is a story of the great works of God. This is a story of men and women planting the seed and others coming along and watering that same seed. This is a story, the miracle of MIBC, of God-given increase. And so from the very beginning, I believe that was evident. I shared little bits and pieces of this. I I want to kind of fill in some of the blanks this morning. But it all began December 1996 when Brother Hiltz approached me. And Brother Hiltz had that way about him. And he said, Brian, I want you to pray about starting an independent Baptist church in the city of Mississauga. And when Dr. Hiltz asks you to pray about something, uh, you pray about it. Even though I really didn't feel at the time that that's what God would have us to do. But the more that I prayed about it, the more that God began working in our hearts. And ultimately, after several weeks of praying, I was ready to surrender and say, Yes, Lord, I know that's what you want us to do. And so that was December of 1996. Earlier, actually, that same year... Uh, A group of men, including Brother Hiltz and myself and several other pastors, Gene Burge with Baptist Missions of Forgotten People, we had all gathered around this vehicle-sized rock on the 10th line in Mississauga. And there was a piece of property there that a Bible fellowship uh, which had disbanded some years ago, had owned this property, and they were looking to donate it to another church. And so Brother Hiltz, with all of his connections, he, he became aware of this property, and uh, he led a group of men to put a proposal together to acquire that property and plant the church there. This is before he'd spoken to me. And so we all, and was, it was an evening, and uh, we, I believe it was late September, we gathered around that rock on that property. I think there were six or seven men. 
And we held, we, we held hands, we, we locked hands together around that big old rock. And we prayed. Not only that God would give us that property, but we prayed that God would bring to fruition an independent Baptist church in Mississauga. Well, you know, that all sounds great. That's exciting, thrilling. There's a possibility of property. Uh, eventually, there's a man that agrees uh, to follow God's calling to pastor that church. But I want to tell you something. There's no work of God without its obstacles and without its opposition. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16.9, A great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. And so in those early days... You know, there were, it seemed like to me, decisions of men, good men, that stood in the way of getting this work done. You know, as soon as there was property involved, it was interesting because there were two or three other men that kind of threw their hat into the ring. and said, well, let me start that church. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, Brother Hiltz came to me. I prayed about it. I have peace about it. Um, how, how come it is, how come it seems like there's other men that are now throwing their hat in the ring and saying, let me start that church and let me, <laughs> and I just left it with the Lord. And eventually those, those men all removed their hat, right? And I was the one left standing. And I'll, I'll forever remember a spring preaching conference at Faithway Baptist Church. And I remember uh, Brother R.B. Willette preached. And he preached a message about how that God is able to do amazing things with little or nothing. And I remember going forward, God had so moved in my heart. I remember going forward at invitation time. And as I knelt at that altar, my prayer to the Lord was along this line. Oh God. I do not want to go and start a church in Mississauga only because there's property involved. And I prayed, Lord, property or no property, I'm going. I just want to do what you want me to do. And you know, within 10 days, that potential of this property disappeared. <laughs> And it was no longer available to us. And so, you know, God had worked in my heart to show me that this could be done with God's help without the big splash, right, to begin with. You know, God is still in the business of supplying our needs. Whether it's finances, whether it's property, whether it's a building, whether it's personal support, whether it's you know people or a team to do the work, whether it's a place to meet, you know here we were about to start Mississauga International Baptist Church, and by this time it was late May of 1997, and there was nothing in place. The goal was to start the church in the fall. So we had four or five months. I had zero support. 
Okay. Um, I only knew Brother Hiltz had asked me to do this, but then the Lord put put a team together. The Hiltzes came on board. Bruce and Donna Cook came on board. Stan and Brenda Camps came on board. And within three and a half months of pre-field ministry, plus the Lord's gracious provision through Bethel Baptist Church in Simcoe, we were able to come to Mississauga on $2,300 a month and actually buy our first home. We'd rented our whole lives. Buy our first home. Agree to rent the um, River Grove Community Center, although it was just a little art room. Most of you don't remember that. You, know, you remember the big seniors room and the youth room and all that room for 200 plus people. We started off in a little art room. And uh, we had 13 people when we started. And that first Sunday, we prayed for 30. And we had 29. And Brother Hiltz had to remind me, Pastor Teason, your wife is expecting, and that makes 30. <laughs> and I was like, praise God for an encourager like Brother Hiltz, amen? And God answered prayer. And you know, we didn't, we didn't see anyone saved at that first service. However, a couple months later, one of the couples who had visited those, that first service, Sean and Astrid Tidd, they came forward, I think it was right around Easter, they came forward in a church service. And I just remember this so distinctly, we've been praying for them, praying for them. And Sean stood up, and he just came down the aisle. He didn't take his wife by the hand. He just, you could see God working in his heart. He just came right down the aisle. And you know what? His wife followed behind him. And when he took my hand at the front, he said, Pastor, I've been waiting a long time for this. And he got saved that morning. Oh, you know what? God began to bless. We had a grand opening service in October that year. I think we distributed uh, several thousand flyers. I sent out an invitation to Mayor Hazel McCallion to come to our grand opening service. And when you know what? She accepted our invitation. And the mayor of Mississauga was there and we we were blessed. I think we had over we had seventy six in attendance at that grand opening. Of course the next week we were down to thirty. You know how those things work, all right? I uh, remember the uh, many of the uh, first fruits of the church, salvations. I already mentioned the Tids. Uh, I remember a gentleman by the name of Rod Pinkson. And I remember how Rod had come on a Sunday morning. He'd gotten one of our John and Romans. And for a year, he'd kept that on his refrigerator up above. And then finally, he tucked it in his lunchbox and started carrying that back and forth to work. He didn't get saved yet, but he'd been reading that on his lunch break. And he came to church that Sunday morning with that John and Romans in his hand like, a, like an admission ticket. And um, told me a bit of the story. And then at invitation time, he didn't come forward. But as I left from behind the pulpit and walked towards the back of the auditorium, 
I noticed someone was following me. I turned around and here was Rod Pinkson following me to the back of the auditorium. And I turned around to look at him. And Rod had a desperate look on his face. And this is what he said. He looked at me and he says, I'm not saved. I looked at him again and and he repeated himself. He said, I'm not saved. And I said, well, Rod, let's let's go talk about it. And I spent 40 minutes with Rod that Sunday morning. And Rod came to know the Lord. Sunday night, he brought a Bible with him to church. And this was no ordinary Bible. This was, a, this was his mother's Bible. And he said, I want to show you something, Pastor Tyson. So he opened that Bible up. And his mother had inscribed, she'd given that Bible to him, and she inscribed a note for her son. And it said something like this, Dear Rod, you know I've been praying for you. And I love you, son. And Rod, you need to be saved. He said, Pastor Tyson, my mom's been praying for me for 40 years. And he said, when I drove to your church this morning, he said, it took me about 15 minutes to drive. He said, the whole way to church, he said, I was telling myself, Rod, you're going to get saved today. Rod, you're going to get saved today. And he did. <laughs> I remember Tina. Tina Jolliker. Tina came from a, a townhouse complex not far from River Grove. In fact, she was a next door neighbor of Stan and Brenda Camps at the time. And so she came out at their invitation. I remember on a Sunday morning when she got saved. Now, we've always been a King James Bible preaching church. For 20 years, we've never preached anything but the King James Bible. And that's what we'll continue to do. Now, I'm not one of those preachers. You you that have been here any time, you know this. I'm not ranting and raving about the King James Bible every Sunday. It's our foundation. My father-in-law said to me years ago, Brian, you don't need to make a, a big issue out of it. You just need to preach the Word. Just preach it. And, let, and people encourage people to live by it. So that's what we've done. But the amazing thing was Tina came to me on Sunday night after getting saved Sunday morning. And she said, or actually after the service Sunday morning, this is what she said. She said, Pastor Tyson, she said, I, I brought a Bible today. And she said, I, I noticed as you were preaching and as you were reading the Bible, it d- didn't match what was in my Bible. And she said, I was just wondering, is there any chance that I could get a real Bible? <laughs> and I said, well, Tina, you come back tonight and I'll have a Bible for you. And I uh, gave her a King James Version. You know, she didn't need a whole lot of controversy. She just said, I recognize what the pastor's preaching to be the Word of God, and that's what I want. And so those were some of this, the conversions, the first fruits in the early days. And of course, I remember the, the baptisms. God blessed us with seeing young people and, and, uh, adults and even seniors baptized over the years. And those are always some of, you know, as I think about it, my most precious 
memories. I remember the very first baptisms. I I remember when I baptized my oldest son, Caleb. He was 11 years old. And by the way, the last baptism that I did here was my youngest son, who was also 11 years old, and through the 20 years, baptized all six children. That's a precious memory. Baptized many of you, many of your children. Um, I remember some interesting stories along the way. I, I remember, how many of you, you remember that the uh, aluminum tank we used at River Grove? And we used to run a hose all the way from the kitchen. And fill that thing up Sunday morning. You know, we've had to take several trips with our vans to get all the, all the things in, into the building and get the, get the bap, baptistry into the building, get that thing filled up. And, um, sometimes if we didn't have an eye on it, that baptistry was threatening to overfill. And I'll never forget the one Sunday morning, but we used to pray with the men back in the kitchen. You remember this, Brother Timothy. Pastor Shaw was with us at the time. And um, so that thing was getting full and getting full. And Brother Timothy went, went running back to the kitchen and he tied that hose off. He put a kink in it or whatever. And um, well, it created enough back pressure at the faucet and that the fitting wasn't on there all the way, and so it sent out showers of water in every direction. And Brother Shaw, Pastor Shaw, he happened to have his Bible out there and open, and 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 it showered his Bible. And um, I'll never forget the look on Pastor Shaw's face. And I, I said, Brother Shaw, I said, relax. It's the water of the Word. <laughs> uh, I remember baptizing Yvonne Coppin. Yvonne's now with the Lord. And in her late 70s, she followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And she was so exuberant after getting baptized. I mean, she came up out of the water. Remember that? And she threw her hands up in the air. And she danced a little jig in that baptism. Just so excited to be baptized. I uh, remember baptizing a number of down the Credit River. And someone was just sharing this story with me last week. We, we were walking down to the Credit River one Sunday morning after church. And, and someone had made the comment of, well, you know, why would you baptize in the Credit River? Isn't it toxic? And I, and I said, oh, no. I said, no, no, don't worry about that. You know, it's, it's fine. The water's, the water's good. And I had no sooner gotten those words out of my mouth... And we both looked in the river, and here was a dead salmon floating by. <laughs> and, and I said to the gentleman, I said, you didn't see that. <laughs> uh, and Pat, we nearly lost Pat down there in the river. I mean, we put her under, and I guess there was enough current in that pool where we baptized. She started to float away. <laughs> And, and everybody was looking for Pat to come back up. Normally you come back up out of the waters of baptism and, and there was no Pat to be found and finally she popped up a, a couple feet away, but, uh, none the worse for the wear. The first fruits. Exciting times. During those first months, you know, if I could just describe a, t- a typical day, we would commute from Waterford. 
So we were an hour and 40 minutes away. Pack up my little family in our 1995 Pontiac Bonneville. We'd pack them all up in the vehicle, and we'd drive for an hour and 40 minutes down to Mississauga. And we'd pray together as a family as we drove. And the prayer often were something like this, Oh, Lord, you, please send folks our way today. Lord, send people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you not save someone today? Help the new converts to be faithful. God, do a work in people's hearts. Help us as we serve. And so those were those were some great days. And um, our John and Romans distribution, a hundred and ten thousand John and Romans went out to the homes of Mississauga. Over fifty thousand of them by hand. On one Saturday alone, we had nine. Churches from Southern Ontario represented over 126 people, and Bruce Cook, who's got a military background, I mean, he had this thing organized. I mean, he ran it like a drill sergeant, and we had we hand distributed 26,000 John and Romans in a single day. I mean, it was quite amazing. We had evangelistic meetings that followed the John and Romans distribution. We had our very first Faith Promise Missions Conference in 1998, and $14,000 was committed to world evangelization. And today, I think the church is giving about ten times that amount. Many other important dates. We, we initiated our building fund back in the spring of 1999. And you've probably heard the story before how... Uh, we talk about we're going to have a building fund. Well, we had one man, not a member, one man. He stood up on a Sunday night and he said, Pastor Teeson, he said, I want to challenge all the members of your church. There were about 15 of us there. He said, I want to challenge all the members of the church to give $2,000 toward this building fund. He says, I believe in what we're doing here. And he says, let me be the first. I'm going to give $2,000 now. I challenge everyone. A lady stood up. She said, I'll give $2,000. Someone else stood up. I'll give $2,000. Now, mind you, I didn't initiate this. That's not my way of doing things. But that it, that was happening. And at the end of the evening, I think we'd raise about seven or $8,000 to kick off our building fund. And then the uh, the brother who had initiated all of that... He came to Pastor Cook and I after the service. He says, now, he says, I want to meet with you guys this week. And he said, I'll have my check for you. Okay, great. So we met with him. And he wrote out the check, $2,000. Now he said, I'm not putting a date on it. He said, because I don't have the money. (laughs) He said, however... However, he said, I'll let you know as soon as I have the money and then you can fill the date in and you can cash the check. Wonderful. Five years later, five years later, that brother had moved on. Brother Cook came to me and he said, Pastor Tiesel, he says, I've still got this check. What should we do with it? <laughs> you know, 
I said, oh, you could uh, just put it through the put it through the shredder. It, it's in retrospect, I thought maybe you should have had that framed. I mean, it was quite. <laughs> but to think that God used non-existent money to kickstart our building program—it's just just beyond me. God works in unusual ways. Amen. Uh, and I could go on and on, it, 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 and probably should leave some of this for next week. But so many important moments, we we merged with Harvest Fellowship Baptist Church, acquired the Ninth Line property, uh, went through seasons of testing. I remember one period of about nine months, 2008 into 2009, and the deacons who were with me at that time, you guys remember. The difficult emotional time we went through, people left. We we lost about 20% of our members within those nine months. Not all of it was bad. Some people moved on for good reasons. I remember so many of you coming to the church for the first time. Uh, I'm looking back at the tans at the back. They're gonna, they're gonna hate me for singling them out, but you know, it's just, just an example of what God can do. I remember when the tans came, and um, the first time they visited, I met, I met them in the summer and uh, got to know them a little bit, and they were there for a couple, three weeks, and then I didn't see them again. A year later, they showed up again in the summertime. And I greeted them, and, and I remembered their names and greeted them by name, and they were impressed with that, and and uh, we had a good visit with them. But then after a couple of weeks, we didn't see you again. And then one year later, here they came again. And I said, ah, Ed and Cecilia, you're here for your annual visit. <laughs> and they And they laughed. We laughed together. And I said to them something like this. I said, but this time you're here to stay. And you know what? They were. And it's just amazing things like that. So I remember folks coming. And then I remember folks that have graduated, gone to be with the Lord over the years. And I still miss them. Alicia Harrison. Um... I think of Lucille Randall. Alfred, I'm so glad to see you today. I remember Lucille going home. And uh, and Dr. and Mrs. Hiltz. And Yvonne Coppin. And Gwen Kay. And Brother De Silva's now with the Lord. And there's others. And your loved ones that... I've either uh, attended funerals or officiated funerals for your loved ones. But, you know, it makes heaven all that much sweeter <laughs> to think about it. And then fast forward a few years because I just don't have time for every little detail here. But October 2014, I met with this gentleman here on the front row, Pastor Mark Alcock at a Swiss chalet on Beauvert. I even remember what I had. Well, that's because I remember what I have every time I go to Swiss chalet. (laughs) 
Um, but Pastor Alcock asked me to pray about the possibility of BIBC merging with our church and seeing what God had. And so we began to talk, we began to pray, seek God's will on that. And March of 20, uh, 2015, the church has merged. And um, little did we know what God would have come out of all that. The merger became a reality, and here we are today. And God has provided for the next chapter of this legacy here. He has provided you with gifted, godly leadership. And He has provided this church with a vast array of spiritually gifted, incredible, multi-talented people. And with God, you can take this work to the next level. You really can. So with all of that said, it's a story of people planting seed. It's a story of people watering that seed. Someone lays a foundation, someone else builds on the foundation. But at the end of the day, none of it is possible without God. It's a story of God-given increase. And so, when we go back to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to see how that God gives the increase. I mean, it really reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 16 and verse 18 when He said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not the rock Peter, but the rock Jesus, the rock of Peter's confession, that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock and this foundation, Jesus said, I will build My church. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And so you gotta begin with that. You have to begin and you have to move forward with a correct philosophy of ministry, a biblical philosophy of ministry, and then you build your vision upon that. The vision grows out of the soil of a right philosophy. Whether we call it vision or purpose or mission, it's really interchangeable terms that mean much the same thing. And it requires uh, some certain elements if philosophy of ministry is going to be transformed, take take, uh, dream and make it a reality. And the vision is, that vision and that philosophy is going to require language. In other words, it has to be communicated. It has to be spelt out. It has to be put out there in black and white. What exactly is it we're looking to accomplish as a church? The Bible says in Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now the word vision uh, literally speaks of a word from God. There's no word from God. If there's no clear word, then the people perish. And aren't you thankful that over the ages God has spelled out that plan for us? Been very specific about communicating His purposes through His Word. In creation, we learn that it's all for God's glory. Amen? All things by Him, through Him, and for Him. 
in redemption. Think of how we as a race deliberately chose sin. We chose disobedience. Now we weren't there with Adam and Eve, but in a corporate sense, yes we were. And we fell in sin therefore, but God had an eternal plan for our salvation, namely through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And aren't you glad that God didn't just accomplish that, but He communicated it to us in His Word. And how that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God had a plan for Israel. And uh, in the New Testament, we learn that through Israel, we've received God's Word. That through Israel, through the Jews, it's that the Savior Jesus Christ came in His lineage. God's plan for the church. How He loved it. He gave Himself for it. And mark it down, Jesus Christ today is concerned about the doctrine of the local church, its polity, its spiritual temperature, its testimony, its future. And Paul communicated a similar concern in his vision for the Corinthian church. And I believe it's at least fourfold as it's spelled out in our passage. Paul had a vision for their maturity. The word increase indicates this purpose. Now we all think of increase as statistical, numerical increase, and it can be that. But the greatest increase in all the world is spiritual increase. It's that growth in your life and mine. It's that progressive sanctification whereby we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. As Peter said, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I hope that you're growing today. I hope that you're on that pathway to spiritual maturity. Becoming full grown men and women in Jesus Christ. That's what he desires for you. Uh, And Paul uh, spelled that out here. But Paul's vision also included ministry. In verse 8, it says, He that planteth and he that watereth are one. And we could liken, I I know there's crossover and there's a a whole uh, vast uh, number of ways that we can apply this, but essentially, could we not say that planting is the work of evangelism? I'm talking about soul winning and outreach and missions. And so we need prayer and people and finances committed to that. And this church needs to remain on the cutting edge of evangelism. Let me challenge you and encourage you from Pastor Alcock through the deacons and right on down. uh, Keep your focus to go out and bring them in. To reach the lost. For Jesus Christ. Now it doesn't have to be a an organized time, although that's good. It doesn't need to be the next soul winning program, although that's also good. But I believe in every member, any time evangelism. Spontaneous, your spontaneous witness for Jesus Christ is your very best witness. Be ready always to give an answer to every man. A reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and with fear. Evangelist. Someone has to do that. You know, old time evangelists said we evangelize or we fossilize. That's true. The watering can be likened to the discipleship. And that includes, by the way, all the multifaceted ministry of the word. The mainstream means and methods of discipleship in the church. 
And beyond that, it involves one-on-one Christian mentoring and counseling. And there's not a one of us who, once you've been saved, cannot be involved in some aspect of the discipleship process. You need to remember there are no short courses. There's no shortcuts. There's no gimmicks. It takes time to grow. And we need to give people time and space and patience to compass that. Okay? It's not a matter of force-feeding someone 27 lessons of discipleship and say, there you go, you're good on your own. But discipleship is relationship. When's the last time you prayed about and you thought about and said, there's got to be someone in the church or maybe will come through the doors of the church who's maybe newly saved or maybe they're not saved at all yet. But they're needing someone to take them by the hand and help them to grow and be discipled in their faith. To learn the doctrines. To learn what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. To learn how to pray and read their Bible. And that you determine in your heart and pray, Lord, give me someone like that. And help me to disciple those individuals. Help me to see them grow. That's the watering many times that needs to take place. That's the discipleship. And God can use you. Paul had a, had a vision for unity. I love the way it's put in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. That's great, isn't it? And we need such unity in the church. And if I, if I know anything about Pastor Alcock, and I, I, I think I've gotten to know him fairly well over the years, not just the three years here. He was a student of mine. Now, don't hold that against him, but he was a student of mine at Faithway many years ago. And, and I, I've observed him as he's been involved in the Lord's work over the years. But if I know anything about his heart, he has a heart for unity within the church. Everybody on the same page. Everybody pulling in the same direction. And that's an important biblical uh, principle. We may, now, it doesn't mean unanimity in everything. It doesn't mean we always agree on every fine point. Okay? Swiss Chalet or Boston Pizza doesn't make any difference to God. Right? You know? Curly hair or a godly hairstyle like mine. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to God. Amen? Okay? Uh, what I'm saying is there needs to be unity around this old blessed book. Around the doctrine of salvation. Okay? That's, that's where it needs to be. Uh, within that unity, we worship God. God is a spirit, Jesus said to the woman of Samaria. And they that worship Him must worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. And there's fellowship within that unity. And that's why, you know, we spell out that, that little diagram that explains the discipleship process of our church. We talk about how it begins with uh, loving God. And in our worship services, that's, you know, whatever contribution you have to make to a worship service, it ought to be because you love God. And then we need to grow together. And that's where our weekday Bible fellowships fulfill a very important need. And we're learning to love one another and, and growing together. And then we need to serve others. Okay, and that's the word in action. 
That's Jesus Christ within us lived out through our daily actions, whether it's personal evangelism, whether it's an act of kindness, whether it's some form of care ministry. We all need to be involved in that. Then finally, Paul had a concern for the church's purity. Notice in verse 10, he's talking about we're building on one foundation. But he says, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. You know, it's not enough for people in our day to say, well, I love Jesus and, and I'll just do anything I want in the name of Jesus. I'll just do any kind of ministry and then I'll just, uh, you know, defer it all to Jesus. That's not the way it works. Paul says, take heed how you build. And so we have to live and serve and love God and all of the above in a manner that's pure because our God is pure. In a manner that's holy because our God is holy. So God has a work for the church today. How exciting that is. Listen, church, Mississauga International Baptist Church, you're not just here to occupy time and space. You're here to write a page in the history of the church. And the next 20 years are every bit as vital and important, if not more so, than the first 20 years of Mississauga International Baptist Church. The vision requires that language, a spelled out purpose and communication. It requires uh, some leadership. Paul said that God had given him grace. God had given him wisdom as a master builder. And so he said, I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereupon. Paul is certainly a leader. He's a leader in the church, a leader among men. You could say Paul, in many respects, was a leader of leaders. And that required the this, this skill, the wisdom, the work. He said, I've laid the foundation. You want to be a leader at Mississauga International Baptist Church? It's not about having a position. It's not about whether you're the senior pastor or a deacon or you have some title attached to your name. Leadership really is influence, and it's example. And you know, when you're faithful, you're setting an example. When you come in these doors on time or early, that's leadership. You're saying to everyone else that walks through the doors, you know what, I can count on brother or sister so-and-so, they're going to be there. They're going to be in their place, they're going to be on time, they're faithful, they're all of that. What an example it sets. We need more of that kind of example, amen? We, we demonstrate leadership in our, the effort that we give to God's work. We demonstrate leadership in our attitude. <laughs> you know, what kind of leadership? It, can you imagine if, if I came in on Sunday morning over these last 20 years and I'd had a bad week? And by the way, I have had some bad weeks. Some of you didn't know that before. But but if I came in and I kind of slumped over in my chair, and I sat here and I just looked out, and, and, I, and I looked like death warmed over, what kind of confidence would that inspire in our congregation to serve God? No, listen, it doesn't matter what kind of a week I've had. It doesn't matter what kind of a week you've had. We serve a living Savior! And we can come to this place with excitement and encouragement and the right attitude and a joy that's deep down in our heart. Is everything gravy? No, it's not. Is life a bowl of cherries? 
If it is, what am I doing down here in the pits, right? No. But leadership is showing that right attitude. It's having that grace. Leadership is saying, you know what? I'm going to love my brother or sister that's been stumbling a bit. I'm not going to jump down their throat. I'm going to love them. And I'm going to encourage them. And if they need forgiveness, I'm going to forgive them by the grace of God. That's the kind of leadership that's needed at Mississauga International Baptist Church. That vision requires laborers. You'll bear with me for a few minutes yet. Look, I have you out of here by 10.30. Okay, but i got two major points left. <laughs> um, for, for this, I'm going to illustrate this point by saying, um, you know, the the tunnel, they call it the the channel, I think, between England and France, across the English Channel, is 50 kilometers long. And it is um, the 39-kilometer undersea section is the longest undersea tunnel in the entire world. What you may not know about that tunnel is that it was first conceived by the French mining engineer Albert Matthew in 1802. He put forward a design for it. And the first attempt at a tunnel excavation actually began way back in 1880 when the Beaumont and English tunnel boring machine began digging undersea tunnels. And the idea of a fixed link continued to both puzzle and exercise the minds of engineers from the 1880s all the way through 1945. But all the projects remained firmly on the drawing board. And it wasn't until 1986 under Margaret Thatcher that this grand idea got the full-scale go-ahead and Francois Mitterrand of France announced that the Eurotunnel bid had been selected. You could say there were a number of stages over a couple of centuries in the development of that tunnel. There was the theoretical, there was the conceptual, and then there was the actual. But that final stage, the actual accomplishment of the work required machines, it required men, it required a lot of labor. Ninety-five miles of tunnels were dug over the course of eight years by nearly, are you ready for this, 13,000 engineers, technicians, and workers. And the cost was a mere $15 billion U.S. I wonder what it would cost today. Probably in the hundreds of billions of dollars. But what I'm saying by all of that, you know, all these great engineering and architectural wonders of our world would not be accomplished except for the blood, sweat, and tears of people. And people are willing to give their backs. People are willing to give their physical health. People are willing to even give their lives away for projects like that that count how much in eternity. About that? And yet, what are we willing to give to the work of God? What are we willing to give to His work? Listen, 
We need to be willing to get some dirt under our fingernails. We need to be able to be willing to, to sustain a few cuts and bruises. Maybe even a few hurt feelings along the way. To see God's work go forward. Laborers. And the two categories of laborers here are the waterer, or the planter and the waterer. I won't get into that a lot. Maybe we'll talk more about it next week. But you're either planting, you're either that visionary with a desire to start something and and to see something founded, or you're the planter who comes along behind and waters and invests in the vision of another. You're one of the two. And it begs the question, if you're not planting and you're not watering, then what on earth are you doing? Yes, God gives the increase. But God does not give the increase to those that sit back in the lazy boy with a bowl of potato chips in one hand and a remote control in the other while the world is going to hell. God gives the increase to people who labor. People who will invest themselves in God's work. That's what we need to see. And the most important thing is that the vision requires the Lord. I think we've already said that. God gives the increase. As we go about to do God's work, we and His will, we need to understand that all of this is established by Him. He is the foundation. If we go down to verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We don't get to choose our own foundation, folks. Now, we have choices to make about how we're going to build on the foundation. But there's no choice in the foundation. The foundation is none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's it. He's the founder of all creation. He's the founder of redemption's plan. Quite honestly, we would have never dreamed up redemption through a crucified Savior who was the Son of God. We'd never come up with that. That's God. He's the founder of the church, and without Him, we have no vision, no purpose, we have no work to do, we have no church today, we have no gospel, we have no faith, we have no hope, and we have no salvation. It's just as if you built a structure, and you installed all kinds of uh, light bulbs, miles of electrical cords, switches, and sockets, but you're never connected to the source of power. God's work is established by Him and it's equipped by Him. That's the furnishing. You know, men and women will go to great lengths to be outfitted for all kinds of adventure, recreation, and dangerous work. I mean... Think of what people go through to prepare to climb Mount Everest or to engage in polar exploration or deep sea diving. Those people who are serious about that, they wouldn't dream of going without the proper training and equipment for the task. They'd be fools not to. So we too have a great task and we need to be properly equipped. 
Acts 1 and verse 8 tells us how that happens. Jesus said, but ye shall receive power. After that, what? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. We're talking this morning about the empowerment and enablement of God's Holy Spirit. And as much as we should pray for buildings and for finances to do the work of God, and we should pray for the people to fill up the house of God, and as much as we should pray for the wisdom to... uh, implement programs and ministries, how much more should we be on our knees begging for the power of God's Holy Spirit? The vision fails without the Lord. Fails without His establishment. and fails without His equipping it. And folks, that's what we need. That's... Look, I may be leaving, but I'm in need of that. As I work to support missionaries and church planters and to help get them established in the work of God and equip them and encourage them, how much do I need God's Holy Spirit? I need His provision. I need Him to show me the way. And church, you need that. Under your pastor's leadership, follow the Lord. Follow Him first and He will bless you. So it's a story. It's a story of planting and watering. It's a story of God giving the increase. That's been the story for 20 years. And by God's grace, it will be the story for the next 20. It will be the story as the church moves forward. Let's pray.